Hi, everyone, and welcome to the fourth episode of the Turf Girls podcast. Before we get started, I just want to remind you all that Turf Girls is available on Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and of course, Anchor. You can ask your favorite AI to play Turf Girls. Make sure you subscribe wherever you like to listen. It has been an absolutely crazy couple of days at Country Hills. We had a couple of back-to-back 11-hour shifts this week, and yesterday we got hit by 100-kilometer winds, which we were not expecting. We had all of the tarps off of our greens that were renovating, and the root zone mix was flying away on us. So after a scramble to try and save as much of that as we could, it ended up being a pretty long day at the end of a pretty long week, and I just didn't have the time to get this episode out on Friday. So I want to thank you for your patience, and thank you again for tuning in. And of course, before we get to the bulk of the episode, it's time for the Turf Girl shout-out. This episode's shout-out goes out to Morgan Creighton. If you don't know Morgan, you definitely should. Morgan is an Olds College graduate with her Bachelor's of Applied Science in Turfgrass Management, and she's the founder of the Women in Turfgrass Management Mentorship Program. Morgan recently accepted the job of Assistant Superintendent at the Woodside Golf Course, where she's working with Superintendent Karen Rumer. I just want to wish Morgan the best of luck in her new position and thank her for all she does to support and advance women in turf. If there's a woman in turf or golf in your life who you believe deserves a shout out, let me know. You can email me at turfgirlspodcast at gmail.com or fill out the contact form on my website, turfgirls.com, and I would be happy to shout them out on the podcast. So as promised, this episode, we're going to be doing a Turf Girl style renovation report. If you've listened to the TurfNet radio podcasts, you might have heard Anthony Piopi do the renovation report with high-level management at clubs that have undergone major renovations. Country Hills recently began our own renovation, resodding six of the greens on our course, The Ridge. I've taken part in the renovation a little bit, but since my major role is the Sandwoman, I have the pleasure of being joined today by the first ever guest besides Weasley, on the podcast to help me give you guys the full rundown of what's going on at our club. Hi, Thomas. Hi, Natalie. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being on today. I'm so excited to have you. So today I'm joined by Country Hills Assistant Superintendent Thomas Gallant. I value Thomas very much as a leader and a friend, both on and off the course, and I'm so happy to have him on the podcast today. My first ever guest, it's not just me talking to my walls. That's very exciting. (laughs) So Thomas, can you introduce yourself to the people and give them a little bit of a background on what you do and how you got to be in your position at our course? Yes. So my name is Thomas Gallant. I've worked at Country Hills since I was 13 years old, which is around the year 2007. Uh, My older sister actually worked here before I did, about five years before. And she said, my little brother's at home not doing anything. Can you come (laughs) break some bunkers and help out? And they said yes, which is probably the biggest mistake they've ever made. (laughs) I never left and <laughs> I've done other things in between, but I always found myself coming back here year after year, even if it was just on weekends for a couple seasons while I did other things and I just loved it so much. So I said, you know what, maybe I try to make this actually a career. I went to old college in 2013, uh, finished in 2015 and yeah, that checks out because your first year as an assistant was my first year here. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Cause I, heard the stories about Liz and Brent before Mm -hmm. and then I joined the staff and I was like I don't know who any of those people (laughs) were like I had friends who worked on the staff and I 
heard all the stories about the supervisors and showed up and none of them were here. (laughs) Some people who I've talked to who have gotten into the turf industry say they've had like a light bulb moment when they knew that turf was for them. Did you have one? Not specifically for turf, no. Um, This golf club is really what drew uh, drew me into the industry. It it wasn't necessarily anything to do with golf as itself. but as I sort of became more and more of a position here, I got to go to conferences, meet the people, go to school and meet the people. It's a really cool community to work in and uh, really enjoy it. But to answer your question, no, no light bulb, really. It's just happened to be the right place, right time. Club. You just want to work here forever. Something weird about it. <laughs> the season starts to end. People start to go back to school. That's my... Everybody kind of gets excited that the season's ending. That's when I start to get sadder and sadder to see all these people leave. You know, we work with a lot of great people. I love the people that I work with. I love every spring getting to do the hiring and bringing people on. And, and like, I guess I, I don't feel like I'm introverted or extroverted, but do I love the people? <laughs> Absolutely. You don't feel like you're extroverted? Not really, no. Am I? You're, you're totally an extrovert. You just want to talk know. to everyone. <laughs> Thomas, let's, if there was some way to like record everyone's radioactivity. <laughs> I do love talking How, how many radio. minutes a day does Thomas spend on the radio compared to everyone else? It's probably about an 80% ratio. What is the, the best moment of your day on the course? Like for me, when it's like first thing in the morning after we all leave the shop, I kind of leg behind a couple minutes to make sure that my crew is all out and on their way. And then when I drive out onto the course by myself first thing in the morning, that's like the best part of my day. I just love that moment. Do you have that favorite moment of your day? Yeah. And I guess it would be tied between that and my drive to like, I know it's not on the golf course, but my drive to the Tim Hortons or get a coffee in the morning. I really like that time where it's really early in the morning, but I'm awake and I'm, that's, I have my little Tom time before I come to work and, (laughs) have to deal with not have to get to deal with <laughs> have to deal with all the staff um i also really do like you know the wait what you said getting out there in the morning and sun's just coming up and uh you get that real cool breeze coming at you uh before the hot weather sets in and <laughs> yeah i do like that a lot i like the the country hills sunrises they're so nice yeah they are very pink what's your favorite golf course memory like you're the highlight of your Country Hills career so far, looking back over the, how many years? <laughs> 14, 14 seasons now. I'm in my 14th season. That's a great question. I don't want to get anybody in trouble. Um, <laughs> hmm, that's a really good question. I don't know if it's my favorite memory, but it's a funny memory. Um, we were taking tarps off one year, and uh, one of our employees, Jose, is a little shorter guy. We all let go of the tarp and he did not. Oh no. (laughs) He went pretty high in the air actually. Probably when I was first starting out here, it's not one memory, but it's the excitement that I had when I first started working here, coming to work every day, I got excited. I'd have a hard time falling asleep the night before because I was just so excited to come in. I was raking bunkers and doing grunt work, but I loved it so much. Uh, and I, I think back on that a lot. That's sort of a sobering thing for me to think back on and just remember how excited I was to be around all these cool things that were going on. And one day, maybe I'd get to drive that. One day, maybe I'd get to do that. It's a sobering experience for me. I have to constantly remind myself that little Tom really wanted to do this. So <laughs> don't disappoint him. <laughs> That's so cute. 
I feel like I still have that. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. There's, there's. I'm still raking bunkers. <laughs> Four years later, that's that's my job now every day. Yeah. But I'm still so excited to show up. And there's still stuff that I look at on the course. It's like one day I'll use the lily. Yeah, <laughs> like, one day I'll get to use. Them. Yeah. <laughs> I, actually, there is a couple things I've never used. So there you I, go. We'll get to have that experience. There, as well. One day you'll get to use that. One what haven't you used that. yet? Well, we used to have this tractor. I don't know if it's still there anymore. And I've never used the planter there. Oh, really? Yeah. What is your biggest piece of advice for someone who wants to get into turf? Think it over. Do your research. Decide, you know, am I doing this because I've worked summers and I like doing it? Or am I doing this because this is something I really see myself doing? Um, and I don't want to make this sound like it's a bad industry, but don't just settle because you've been working at the golf course for a couple of years and you, you enjoy it. Make sure that that's actually something you see yourself uh, doing. And definitely don't think you're going to get rich. <laughs> yeah. Don't get into this industry for the money. Never. <laughs> <laughs> that was the number one piece of advice I probably got when I started asking around about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't you, get into it for the money. You know, it, you'll make a living wage for sure, but uh, you're not going to be making doctors and lawyers money, unfortunately. Yeah. And that was what my whole last episode was really about was, you know, finding what's right, right for you mm -hmm. and making sure that you're in the right spot before you move forward with it. And that, you know what, if you end up doing this and you decide, you know what, I really liked the club that I was working at, but maybe not the industry or vice versa, there's no shame in going back to school and there's no shame in changing careers um, at any age. Mm -hmm. um, I think working at, I can't speak to all golf courses, but working at this golf course really sets you up for all a number of different types of fields, especially in the management side of things. We develop a really cool product. We have a bunch of people that we have to lead and, and mentor. And that does, I think, transfer to a lot of, lots of different other fields. So, uh, you know, there is some risk and reward, but not a whole lot of risk. I don't think. You've been working at Country Hills Golf Course for quite a significant amount of time. What keeps you coming back? Why Country Hills? A lot of reasons for that question. I think the biggest reason is the people that I get to work with every day would be number one, you spend more time with the people that you work with and the people that you love. So why not surround yourself with people that are awesome? Um, the other reason I like oh, it thanks. here. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> the other reason would be that we are a not-for-profit organization owned by our members and 100% of what we do is for the golf course and for our members. And that's it. We work hard on a product, not an owner's bottom line. So we develop an amazing product for amazing people who want to be here. They don't get anything out of it other than the product. So we deliver everything to that product. There isn't a worry about meeting quotas or deadlines for some owner to buy a new BMW. We work for ourselves, essentially, which is really nice. Okay, so I promised that this episode we were going to talk about the renovation. So give me a quick rundown on what we're actually doing on the Upper Ridge. Sure. So what we're actually doing is replacing six screens to uh, T1 bent grass cultivar and replacing the irrigation around them. 
Um, while the greens are closed, while the upper ridge is closed, we're going to be also doing some minor things that we don't usually get to do when we don't have that kind of access. So uh, our hope is to get our curbing machine out and start curbing and as well, maybe some minor irrigation tweaks here and there, but the big is the big six. So we'll be, we've already stripped them. We're kind of doing a few recontourings. We're not totally rebuilding the greens though. So we we're kind of limited there resurface and then replace the irrigation to poly with uh, ins and outs rather than the traditional PVC with just one head that waters both the green and the surround. I like having the option of running the ins and outs separately. Yeah, it's awesome. That's what the whole talons is and that's just the way it's going in our industry as well. Yeah. Trying to, trying to dry out our greens and while keeping the bluegrass around them alive. It's so much better too for when you need water in the morning because mm -hmm. then you don't have to clear the green as far. <laughs> <laughs> Did I hear that we're possibly sodding on Monday? Yes, the sod arrives Monday. So we're cutting and that stems all the way from the beginning from 1997 when they installed those greens. Um, they had a little bit of an issue getting going and we've just always struggled with POA in those greens, especially over the last few years, it's really started to expand. The other reason is our irrigation system up there is not adequate to what it needs to be. So we will continue to replace the irrigation system but because we are ripping up the greens, we're taking advantage of that time to also replace the line around them. Are we changing the cultivar of the grass on the greens? Yes, we're going from a Pencross POA mix to T1. Both Pencross and T1 are a bent grass um, cultivar. The T1 is just a little bit more resilient to drought. Um, it's a little bit more aggressive towards the POA. So the hope is that it um, chokes out the POA faster. And it also springs up a little bit faster in the spring. Which are all really nice things to have in the Alberta climate. Right. That's just what I think. I don't have a professional opinion because I haven't gone to turf school yet, but that's just what I think. <laughs> and what are we expecting the overall cost to look like, including everything? I think everything in it's around half a million dollars is the number that I've seen. I don't know that for a fact it's about. It's about $10,000 per green to resurface them, just to resurface them, not to just in the grass, not in any labor or anything like that. Yeah. Um, because it is coming from the United States. There's a whole bunch of fees we pay in American dollars, which is not doing so well for Canadian right now. To say the least. To say the least. So <laughs> unfortunately there's that, but the pros definitely way out, outweigh the cons as far as trying to get sawed locally. Right. Just because they don't have enough. Well, the growing conditions in Idaho are considerably better. The person that grows it, Matt, down in uh, the States there, he grows a really nice uh, T1 bank grass. It's renowned across all the private clubs that use for him. I think Pritis did a whole 36 holes with him and a few others have been using him pretty regularly. So he has a really good um, rep reputation for the quality of his sod. Right. Uh, and that's very important because this is the only time we're going to be able to do this. We're not we're not ripping these up in three years and doing them again, right? So yeah, we want to make sure that we do it right and do it right the first time. So we've, we're comfortable with Matt. We've used Matt before. We know in the industry, he's got a great reputation. So that's what we're going with. Definitely. When we started tearing up the greens, we mostly used in-house labor with the exception of our machine operator. And we're resodding them and everything ourselves as well. And Tim is doing all of the irrigation work himself and everything like that. So we went basically as in-house as we could. Um, was that just to keep costs down? 
to keep costs down and keep labor available. The costs are a little bit cheaper if we can do it in-house just because there's less mobilization of equipment. We can have more physical bodies if uh, we require it for the same price. So let's say we're paying, you know, five people $18 an hour versus paying two people 30 to $50 an hour. When it's a contractor, you start to pay quite a bit more money. Right. Uh, so there is a cost savings there, but it is also just the availability of the labor. We know that we have the staff and we know we can do it right then. And we, we, we've been able to do it in-house before. So we already know that we're kind of trust ourselves. If this was something we'd never done before, we probably would have a lot more outsourced labor. Right. We have 70 people that we work with every day. So might as well use them. And everyone kind of, you know, took part in this in their own different ways. Um, Jaden and Stu did a lot of the sod cutting when it came to preparing the greens for teardown and everything. And then we had our equipment operator. Charlie was in for a little bit. And then we had Burke doing a bunch of the shaping, Matt doing a bunch of the shaping. Um, also adding to the, uh, the labor, not outsourcing, is we do have a lot of people that work in this department that are very capable. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the salary people have been here for quite a while and we've done renovations before. So we do already have a fairly concrete labor force that can do stuff for quite a bit cheaper than hiring somebody. For sure. Like we had everyone taking on a bunch of different roles. So besides Jaden and Stu and everyone who was working on the sod cutting, we also had myself and Darren and Kylie and Kate and the Beagles were hauling every single day uh -huh. driving those that Cushman back and forth uh -huh. from the parking lot. It was really cool to see it all happen as well and to haul the mix out and stuff and to uh -huh. see that like, hey, we took this down. Now we're going to build it all back up. It was neat to definitely be a part of it. And I'll be excited once we're able to start sodding. Yeah, hopefully it's not snowing like it has been every other time we sawed. <laughs> what other major renovations have we done since you started here? Uh, when I started here in 2007, we were just about to start the renovation on the now Talons, then Lynx. So when I started, I was it was the old course. We spent six and a half million dollars to make it the new course. That was a major renovation, almost exclusively contracted out. Um, we replaced the irrigation system. We replaced a bunch of tees. We resurfaced a couple of greens, not all the greens. Um, and we redid all the bunkering. So the big parts was the irrigation system and the bunkering for sure. Um, that was done by an architect by the name of Tom McBroom out of uh, Ontario. He's pretty well known in the Canadian golf market. He wanted to get his foot in the door in Alberta. So we were his first course in Alberta. Oh, interesting. I did know that he did our renovation, but I didn't know that we were the first one that he did in the province. Mm -hmm. And then it's kind of funny to when you're somewhere so long and you see pr new things get replaced is a really bizarre phenomenon for me. So <laughs> we're out digging up bunkers and replacing things that I saw replaced in my time here. Number yeah. one green being another one. Um, so we have um, a decently healthy capital budget that we utilize on an annual basis to try and get the course to a position where the members want to see it. And also give them some variety uh, fix. You're never going to stop improving something, right? So fix mm -hmm. the little things that, you know, this year we have some money, so let's, water that fence line so that's not so brown down the left side of seven that kind of stuff right so i have seen a lot of small renovations obviously i saw the big renovation and i didn't play a huge part in that I, I was 15 or 16 at the time but i did get to help remove some sod work i worked till almost christmas that year 
just pulling sod on weekends. So that was kind of fun. What are we looking at for the expected opening of our new greens? When will we be debuting them? Well, that's a great question that I don't have a solid answer for. Um, I don't want to put any words in anybody's mouth, especially if there's any members listening. (laughs) I hope by June for sure that we're playing on them. My expectation would be somewhere in May, uh, but probably in June would be a safer target. For sure. Depends on so many factors. Uh, I know, Natalie, you said that we're going to be starting on Monday. We're only starting the starting on Monday. It's going to be multiple truckloads coming up. So Mm -hmm. it'll be a little bit of a process before we have all six greens sodded. So I hope somewhere in May to early June. Right. Are the sods coming on the big rolls? Yes. Nice. Are we borrowing a big roll machine? I hope so. (laughs) It's going to be a lot of pushing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Everyone do your lunges the night before. (laughs) Get ready. (laughs) So as for the opening of the upper ridge period, what are we doing in terms of golf up there to start the season? So to start the season, we have another 18-hole course, obviously, that will be opening. As well, we'll just open the 1-9, the lower ridge, to start off with. Uh, The goal will be to have the project kind of wrapped up as soon as we can, and then we'll play it by ear as to what we want to do and what the membership wants to do. But to start off the season, we'll be playing 27 holes. Right. So there's no solid answer for if we would get on temps. Yeah, there's no solid answer there. I... Again, I don't want to put any words in anybody's mouth. I just don't know how enjoyable six temps would be. If like, are you going to bring a guest out here and play nine awesome holes and then six <laughs> nine temps on temps? And, yeah. Well, three of them you get to play, but is that worth it? I don't know. And you know what? That's not for me to decide. I guess if if, if that's what they want, that's what they want. My hope is that we get as much access to that nine as possible, though, so that once we're done our project, we can go into other little projects. Little projects that don't cost a lot of money, but need access to the golf course to do it. Yeah, for sure. And I definitely have a little bit of like bunker work that I would like to get done up there that we can't usually get done because those bunkers are so prevalent in golf. Yeah. You know, they're so in the way of play to have people in them. So having this time to be shut down will be really nice to get some of that work done. Yeah, to be on the front nine, first few holes especially, to kind of get some of that stuff done. You're right, bunker maintenance is so difficult unless the nines get reversed uh which we do every other monday it's really difficult to get access especially to one two and three so to have those closed and just be able to get this stuff done is a very rare experience that we hope to be able to take advantage of definitely especially since we don't get our normal maintenance blocks anymore right and i don't know if that'll be happening this year probably not with the demand in golf it's just amazing how much golf we're playing right now (laughs) yeah can you talk a little bit about the demand that we've seen for golf here go up, the increase in tee times has been so significant between two years ago and last year. Yeah. So here at Country Hills, we've always been very busy. This is, we play some of the most rounds in Calgary for sure in the private sector. Um, so the demand was already quite high. Uh, what's really nice to see is we've sold a lot of memberships to the junior programs and the intermediate programs. and sort of the younger generations, which is really nice to see that mm-hmm. they want to, you know, those are our future members and they're coming in now. And that's great to see. Um, I think in the end we did around 73,000 rounds, which is high for us. It's not the highest we've ever done. And it would have been the highest it's ever done if we didn't have to close in early October because of the snow. Right. Uh, but 
that for sure is uh, a factor, the snow. But yeah, it was crazy to see how much how much golf demand we had. I uh, thankfully we're protected here in our little uh, ground side of the operations. We don't really have to deal with the membership and access to tee times and stuff. But um, <laughs> from what I gathered, it was harder this year. But being that we are a private golf club, getting a tee time still isn't the worst thing right to experience you i know certainly in the city outside of the private golf clubs and into the public courses it was tough to get a tea time and mm -hmm. it was expensive people so definitely took advantage oh the yeah fact that they can fill their golf courses at 10 or 15 dollars more yeah sometimes even more than that and you know that was great to see too because not that the price hiking is a, a good thing but it's great to see that the smaller courses kind of just outside of the city got a lot more publicity last year. And already I have, a, I have a few friends that work at those courses and they're already saying, you know, they're looking forward to a packed tee sheet every day mm -hmm. and kind of get the word out that there is other golf courses other than just the big ones that are in the city that you go half an hour outside of the city and you get some great golf. So. Yeah, definitely. And I know myself and my family took advantage of that a lot, like myself and both of my brothers started golfing just this past summer. Really? Yeah, nice. we, there wasn't really any particular reason for it, but we, I mean, I work here, so I should golf every now and again, <laughs> but they decided that it was something they wanted to get into as well. And with my parents living outside of the city, we took advantage of um, Boulder Creek and Strathmore really, really frequently. Boulder Creek is now the track in Langdon mm -hmm. and they're actually owned and operated by women out there now. Really? Yeah. Nice. Um, but we spent a lot of time on those courses and I golfed quite frequently in the city as well and definitely noticed the increase working here. But it is really nice, like you said, to see so many more people starting to enjoy the game. And yeah, absolutely. Kind of really restarted that golf engine because I know golf wasn't totally dying before COVID. That's not fair to say. Obviously, people still enjoyed the sport, but it was definitely on a decline, uh, especially in the private sector. So it is nice to see that, you know, we had a little bit of a reboot. Obviously, we're going to be seeing ch some changes coming down the pipeline as far as how golf courses operate. Um, but it is great to see that the golf game is not dying anytime soon. Mm-hmm. On the upper ridge, we're only doing six of the greens this time around because we've already done three of them. We did two, three, and seven a few years ago, and I got to take part in some of the sod care by the time we were already sodded, but because of the time that I left during the season and when I got back, I didn't see any of the takedown really. I was back in school for the fall, and by the time I came back in the spring, we were already sodded. So I just got the easy part of, you know, filling seams every day and stuff like that. But we did do those three greens. Um, why did we previously do those three and then decide to finish the six this year? Okay. Uh, yeah. So we did those three a couple of years ago and those were decided by our greens committee that they were the priority. Um, I don't exactly know what the rationale was. I think I don't disagree with their decision. I just don't know exactly what their decision process was there. Um, but those were the three, we had the money to do only three. So we did those three. We did those three greens a couple years ago. And this year we're finishing up the last six. What did we decide to do differently with these six that we didn't do with the previous three? Yeah, so we did those three. Uh, what we did differently, we 
sodded them, we prepped them, stripped them and sodded them in the fall. Right. Before the tarps went on, before the winter hit. The six that we're doing this year, we did not do that. We stripped and we did as much prep work as we could before the snow flew, but we did it later rather than closing the golf course in September. We closed the golf course in, I believe it was October 1st that we closed the golf course, but don't quote me on that. So it was a couple weeks later that we actually closed the golf course just because we didn't need that time to sod. We just wanted to prep and we sawed it in the spring. The reason why we didn't sod in the fall and did it in the spring was simply because we have six greens that we won't have to worry about brand new sod over winter. In the previous renovation, when we did it in the, we've, we've done both, right? On the, on the towns, we've put them down in the spring and on the ridge previously, we put them down in the fall and right. it was marginal, the timing of opening. So we would have much rather, it's a big investment. Let's make sure we know this sod will survive. We don't want the worst case scenario we're putting down in the fall is we kill it. Right. If there's a big ice storm or something happens. Um, we don't foresee it. It's really hard to see the greens, what's going on. And when there's tarps over top of them, mm -hmm. we do quite a bit here at country Hills, as far as trying to mitigate ice damage and winter kill. Uh, and that's worked pretty well, but it's just a risk. We weren't willing to take on six investments that size. And I do remember coming back in the spring, once those greens were sodded and we took the tarps off and everything, we had a lot of care that we needed to put into them before mm -hmm. they were ready to go. And it was later in the season than expected. Mm -hmm. If I recall that we got them ready to go. There was still a lot of sod seam filling that we had to do. We kept the tarps on, we took the tarps off. We pulled the tarps out into the fairway. We mowed temp greens and it was a really big process to get those three ready after the winter. Yeah. And don't worry, we still will be doing quite a bit of stuff. Um, <laughs> oh, I love tarping and untarping. <laughs> <laughs> we took the tarps off on those greens during the day so that one, we had access to them. We could water them. We could, you can water through the tarp, but we could mow them if we needed to fill seams, do whatever. But then because it was still early spring, we put the tarps back over top of them overnight to try and trap some of that heat and moisture to not reduce the progress overnight as so much. So we will still do that probably uh, where it's possible. You know, we have double the number of greens now, so it's not as feasible as when we were growing in three. Now we're growing in six, right? which is more than we've done in a long time that we'll go into it, but it just won't be uh, so much taking them out of the winter as it will be getting the sod down and getting them growing. Right. Step-by-step, step, what has the renovation kind of entailed for us? I know we did the tear down, but we also put some mix down to build back up the greens and everything. Um, you know, I was part of the hauling process for that, but I didn't know exactly what we were doing step-by-step. Step. So could you take me through that? Yeah. So we'll start from start to finish what the processes will be. Yeah. So we start by sod cutting the green at full sod cutter depth, which I believe is two inches. Then the hoe comes in and scrapes that top layer off and then another two inches past that. So we go a total depth of four inches. We probe and then we strategically place sand. Uh, the reason why we probe is because even though theoretically the green, whatever the subgrade is, should be mirrored on the top, it's not always the case. Right. So before we start rototilling, we wanna make sure that we actually do have 12 inches everywhere. Right. So we bring in sand where we need to bring in sand uh, to bring us back up to that four inches and the sand is a, it's a peat sand mix that we will level out probe to the 12 inches to make sure it's 12 inches everywhere to the gravel layer. We disconnect the irrigation feed that runs to the green 
and we take out the heads, trench in a new line, install the poly pipe, fuse that together on site, install the sprinkler heads, run the wires to um, wherever the controller may be. So we do through the, the trenches wherever we can, and then we will vibratory plow that to the controller because we are doubling the number of sprinkler heads. So there's not that many wires on site. Once that's done, we strip the rest of the bluegrass out through the whole collar because we are also replacing the collars and we'll, we'll saw out the bluegrass as well. Are we changing anything with the collars? In a couple places, we'll go up or down just to try and both give us some surface drainage as well as kind of stop the ball or, you know, whatever our architect kind of wants to tweak. We have a little bit of freedom, especially on the colors, not so much on the greens, because again, you do want that contour, what the subgrade is, should be what the top layer is. Right. You can play with that a little bit, plus or minus a couple inches, but you don't want to start fooling around with that too much. With the collar, you do get a little bit more control. So in some places we will build it up or take it down. Is there a reason that we have 12 inches of sand underneath the green? Like, yeah, so that's what educate they... my non-turf school <laughs> mind here. <laughs> so what they call a USGA spec green. So the USGA comes out with, they did a whole bunch of research way back in the day. Um, there are golf courses that are just fine without all this uh, process, but this is what the USGA did. They, they set out, they did a whole bunch of different depths of root zone, of drainage layer, and this is what they said is the standard. So that's what we go with. Um, and what that basically means is you have, you shape the bottom. So that's, uh, and then you trench in drainage at a herringbone pattern with a smile at the front. And then four inches of gravel on top of that, a pea gravel of some sort, and then 12 inches of what they call USGA spec sand. So it has to fit certain parameters as far as how many fines are in it, how many particle sizes within so many millimeters. Right. Um, so there's, there's strict uh, restrictions there as far as what can be in that medium, and then the sod on top. We decided to sod instead of seed. Why is that? One for that would be timing. We can put the sod down and be playing on it substantially faster than if we seeded. Um, we also get more control. We know that we have good sod coming up and it's already established. You could have a bunch of problems when you're trying to grow in a golf course from scratch, from seed, and we already mitigated some of those problems. You obviously do gain a few problems, but you lose quite a few more. The other reason to that would be because you're sodding over seeding, you are getting on the golf course sooner. So that in a profit standpoint, even though we're not technically making any money, any more money, we get the members access to the golf course that they pay a premium for sooner. Right. And that is the bottom line. Our membership is who we're here for. Mm -hmm. And the quicker we can make things happen for them, ultimately the better, as long as it's not exorbitantly more expensive. We weigh the pros and cons of closing nine holes for longer. And right. this usually, even though it's a little bit more expensive up front, long-term, it makes up for it. A lot of our members here, well, they obviously care a great deal about the golf course and a lot of them stay very invested into the operations of the grounds department and what we're doing and everything like that. So. Yeah, we have a very active membership as far as those things are concerned. They, they're all very nice. Every member I've met has always been very nice, but also educated. They, they know what's going on. They ask mm -hmm. questions about the projects that they see going on around them because they are owners, right? They want to know how their investment is doing. Definitely. 
After we get this renovation finished up, what do you think is next on the list for major projects for us? That's a great question. Uh, I don't know what will be next in line. There's a bunch of things, whole bunch of things. We're creating a solid plan that will allow us to know our priorities going forward. I do think we'll see a Talon's bunker renovation at some point. The irrigation system needs to be finished being replaced. We have 18 holes of poly and the ridge is still about 80% to 90% PVC, which doesn't last nearly as long as poly and is much more prone to ice fractures and other problems that this climate are notorious for. So mm-hmm. having a, a system that's made out of poly expands and contracts with the change in temperature of the water rather than breaking is awesome. Tim's time would, would swivel from fixing things to improving things and maintaining things where a lot of his time right now is spent fixing irrigation leaks. So I hope that the ridge irrigation system will get finished. We're obviously starting that with the greens and any new projects we work on, any T projects that we work on will also go to poly. So it'll be a slow process, but I do hope that we'll eventually pull the trigger on doing some more of that. But in the short term, I do see some renovating of the Talons bunkers maybe. And uh, there's lots of things, lots of things on the wish list for sure. Mm-hmm. There's no shortage. Well, and like you said, we're working on constantly improving. Like right. a golf course isn't something that you put out once as a singular product and call it good, you know? Right. Everything has a lifespan, even a green to an irrigation system to a bunker. So at some point in time, you're going to be replacing it. Mm-hmm. And we're starting to see with the Talons bunkers, kind of the same thing that you talked about with the irrigation system that we're doing a lot more fixing than we are of maintaining. Mm-hmm. So we're getting to the point, especially with liners and things like that, and those fingers that the members really seem to dislike, mm-hmm. is that we are constantly working on fixing those things. You know, I have a liner fix on my schedule once a week, at least probably. Oh, and yeah, washouts from you know drainage problems that have stemmed from the liner and things like that so hopefully in time with you know a budget for it and a solid plan we'll be able to renovate and work on those things so that we are just maintaining and improving rather than fixing right to see the place constantly improved is obviously a great thing and that's another reason why i love it here so much is we are constantly improving and not it's not status quo it's not how it's always been done so it's good enough kind of thing Mm -hmm. besides the greens renovations that are going on what other kind of projects do we have going on around the course this season we are taking advantage of the time that we're closing the upper ridge to do a few minor things one of which is enlarging a couple tees on the first hole we're going to make the gold deck and the black deck one big deck i believe and we'll enlarge the white deck as well i believe minor things here and there but We are utilizing a bit of that time. Mm -hmm. We have a bit of money slated as well for number eight tees. I'm not too sure if that's going to happen or not. It depends on timing and finances and such, but I'm hopeful that we get to utilize some of that time to do projects like that as well. Right. It'll all depend on when we open and what happens. I mean, we have a lot of goals every year from year to year, but if you had to pick a big overarching Country Hills 2021, what's the goal? I'd say a big goal, and it's not our main goal, our big goal this season is to get off the ground our employees' recognition, engagement, and rewards program, which you're helping me 
very graciously helping me get off the ground and running. And the goal there is to keep and improve an awesome culture, mm -hmm. both from our staff right up to the members, to the people driving by. We want Country Hills to be renowned as the best place to work mm -hmm. and the best place to be in Calgary. So that's obviously a very big goal that isn't just this season, but to get that off the ground and running is, is at least my main goal for this season. I am definitely super excited to be taking part in that initiative. I think that it's something that a lot of us, especially in the grounds department, are really passionate about, and we definitely want to make it a club-wide thing. Um, there's a lot of clubs, I think, that fall prey to having a big separation in between their departments, and I think that one of my big goals with that project and with helping you get it off the ground and everything is to help erase some of that divide between us and across the road. Right. Yeah. We have four lanes of highway between us, which is, <laughs> it seems like a universe, <laughs> Yeah, but there is a tunnel. So there, there is a tunnel. So my hope, yeah, exactly. We, we're not going to be able to change the world overnight and by no means is it broken to the point where it can't be fixed, but we do, my goal anyway, is to make sure that we're on track of getting and maintaining an awesome culture. Thomas, I just want to thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I had tons of fun and I learned tons of stuff. Well, I really appreciate you having me, Natalie. It's, I've never been on a podcast before. In fact, you're the first podcast I ever listened to. So thank you. And I appreciate that so much. It means the world to me. If people want to get a hold of you, what would be the best way? The best way to get a hold of me is probably through the website at countryhills.ab.ca or you can get in touch through turf girls and Natalie can pass on my contact information. Definitely. That's it for another episode of the turf girls podcast. I just want to say thank you again to Thomas for joining me and helping me tell you guys about what's going on on the upper Ridge. I also want to remind you guys that I'll be running an exclusive merchandise giveaway as soon as I reach 500 Twitter followers. At the time of this recording, I'm at 446. So we're getting there. Go follow at TurfGirls on Twitter for a chance to win some merch. As always, you can see any of the source information I mentioned in this episode, helpful links, Thomas's contact information, and the full transcript at the blog post for episode 4 at TurfGirls.com. Once I get access to it from our shared drive, I'll also be adding a time-lapse video of the teardown of some of the greens that we did in the fall. I thought it was super neat to see, and it features me hauling material away from our greens. So definitely visit the blog post to check it out. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Turf Girls Podcast. Please check out the blog post for this episode at turfgirls.com. You can also find me on Instagram at turf.girls and Twitter at turfgirls. I love connecting with people from the world of golf and turf, so please don't hesitate to reach out to me to chat. And remember, layups are for basketball. That was just my interaction? How many questions yeah, we got in we here? We haven't even started talking about the renovation. It's weird when you have to say, can we just start over? I know. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You scare me. Thank you. <laughs> A fancy name. <laughs> fancy name. John. John. John is a fancy name. <laughs> <laughs>
Maybe he was just a fancy guy. <laughs> Strike that one. <laughs> that can't even go in the outtakes. <laughs> I believe it was a... Or, uh, oh. So we did those three greens and... Ask again because of my chair squeaking. <laughs> Your podcast, man.